Welcome to the Boom Boom Performance Podcast, your resource for science-based training and nutrition, data-driven coaching, and education-focused content. Before we get into this podcast, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to listen and learn with me so that you can apply what you are about to learn, take my strategies, use these tools, and finally have some serious methods to see sustainable success with your physique, your mind, and your life. This podcast was built on the foundation of applied education, and I'm excited for you to be here so you can have that experience with me. Now, without any further ado, let's get on to the show. Today, I'm going to dive into my program design strategy. Um, I was actually recently interviewed on a podcast, and they, they asked me how... I structure what my philosophy is around training um, Chad Gable and Bailey, uh, the WWE wrestlers. And I kind of went into this really long rant about the essentially principles. Like what are my principles? What are the things that I think are most important inside of program design? And uh, how do you apply those? What does it look like? Um, And then we kind of expanded on that and was like, really, it's for everybody. And this is just how I program. This is how I see good training done. Um, and I think it applies across the board. So today, I wrote out a few things. I wrote out one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ten steps. That's perfect. Uh, ten steps to program design that I think are fun- fundamental, like ten fundamental principles, if you will. Um, and we're going to dive into each one with some ex- explanation across all of them. Um, so you're going to get a lot of this podcast. Make sure that you guys are taking notes on this because this is one of those ones where you're going to want to look at your program and kind of check your bases, like get your ducks in a row. Are you abiding by these principles? Are you following these rules and these guidelines inside of your programming? And if you're not, I'm literally giving you the tools in order to change your programming to make it better, more fun, and more sustainable um, from a health, injury prevention, so on and so forth standpoint. Guys, if you like this episode, make sure you do me a huge favor, post it on your Instagram story, tag myself at Cody.BoomBoom. I want to thank you for listening and I want to share it on my story as well. Um, And last but not least, go leave us a five-star rating and review on iTunes. If you don't have an Apple iPhone, you can just go to the iTunes. You can Google search Boom Boom Performance Podcast and do it on your computer. We would greatly appreciate it. I am going to pick, uh, I'm going to announce this right now, so hopefully you're still listening to this intro. I'm going to pick two winners. So we're going to do a uh, rating and review contest. Um, When this airs, I believe it is the 21st as you are listening to this, which means that by next week on the 28th, I will announce who the winner is. So if you're listening to this, if you haven't left us a five-star rating and review, go leave us a five-star rating and review. I'm going to pick one Two, maybe even three people to send a gift to. You're going to get a t-shirt. You might get some other stuff. You will see. But go leave us a five-star rating review and enter in the contest. Um, and I will announce those winners on next week's show. Without any further ado, let's get into my 10 fundamental principles of program design. All right. So the first thing inside of my list of principles, number one, is that you have to have specific metric-based movements. Um, this is, uh, like in the most classic fashion, this is going to be your bench squat deadlift, right? You can add overhead press sometimes. Um, if you're a power lifter, it's bench squat deadlift. If you are a, uh, Olympic lifter, this is your snatch, your clean and press, your jerk, maybe your front squat. Um, if you are a power builder, quote unquote, kind of like I am where I really want to build muscle, but I like being strong too. 
Um, we're going to do the power lifts, bench squat, deadlift, and overhead press. Um, and, and you can always add little things too. So if you want to develop your back more, if you want a stronger lats, whatever it may be, you could add a weighted chin up into this. You could add a barbell bent row or a pendlay row or even a heavy T-bar row. You can really add anything. Um, and, and for hypertrophy specific, you could even add something like the dumbbell bench press, right? You could have a dumbbell bench press that you are tracking metrics on and you are progressing over time. Um, in fact, I think for hypertrophy, it's actually better to not just rely on the compound list for progressive overload. I think you should be looking at the seated cable row, the barbell RDL, the, the dumbbell bench press, things like that, military press, because those are going to build a lot of muscle. And if you can, for example, progress your eight rep max over time, you are guaranteed to build some good muscle in that process. Um, but, but the point is the first principle is you have to have these metric based movements because as we go through the program and, and design this program, your accessory lifts will be based on what your metric based movements are. Your accessory lifts are inside the program. They're about midway through and they are designed to supplement your compound. So I need to pick accessory exercises that are going to complement and improve my bench squat, deadlift, and overhead press in my situation, whatever it may be. If you're an Olympic lifter, you need to pick exercises that are going to complement your snatch, your jerk, your clean and press, so on and so forth, because those are your lifts. Those are your metric-based lifts. Um, so it kind of gives you direction. But not only that, it provides you with some solid um, progressive overload, which is, is literally, it's so simple, but it's literally one of the most important things in order to get stronger and to build muscle. And if you were trying to maintain muscle during a cut, you want to really just hold on to the progressive overload you've already accomplished. So you want to work on progressive overload over time. And then when you go into a cut, it's just like, let's just maintain this, right? I got strong. Now let me maintain it. Um, but if you, if you attack progressive overload properly, you are going to get bigger and stronger in the quote unquote off season, let's say like before you go into a cut and it's going to make maintaining muscle even easier because you're stronger, right? You're more resilient. You have more muscle tissue to maintain. So everything relies on that progressive overload. However, it's very hard to progressively overload your dumbbell lunge or your barbell curl or your dumbbell lateral raise. Things like that don't progressively overload very much. You're not going to linearly add load to the bar or the dumbbell on those things. You're basically just going to either add volume or you're going to progress through movement patterns. So maybe you go from a reverse lunge to a static lunge to a split squat to a Bulgarian split squat to a front foot elevated split squat to a uh, barbell lunge. Like you can change the loading patterns and the variations of the unilateral quad dominant movement to progress without adding load. Um, but we have to have those compounds in the beginning. We have to have those metric-based movements in the beginning. So, so principle number one is you have to have clear written in stone um, pr uh, compound lifts or just metric-based movements in general um, and, and really aim to progress those over time. Like your goal there is really to just get stronger. Whether you're hitting them for three reps, five reps, seven reps, nine reps, ten reps, I don't care. The goal is to get stronger in those lifts. Like those are your bread and butter and they're extremely important. So um, for me personally, like I said, it's bench squat, deadlift, overhead press, and then I would add a weighted chin up. So for me, I have five, um, I'm on a upper lower push pull leg split. So it kind of works out perfectly. I have bench day one squat day two. I have, um, overhead press day three, cause that's push day. Then I have a weighted chin up day four, so it's a pull day. And then I have a deadlift day five. It's another leg day, right? So I'm, I'm really hitting everything. And then I'm adding the weighted chin up because I personally believe that some of the best results I've seen with clients happen when we have a metric-based movement that is uh, posterior chain dominant. So um, rule number one, principle number one, 
have some uh, specific metric-based movements that are specific to you and your goals and the progressive overload that you're going to see. Um, number two, undulate your reps and loads across the week. You know, there's there's kind of like – there's two paths to take when we're talking about period, periodization. Um, and we can do like a block linear approach, uh, a linear block periodization approach where – you essentially have these phases, right? So you have an accumulation phase, an intensification phase, and then a realization phase. And basically what this means is we have one phase that is just geared towards hypertrophy. You're, you're essentially just accumulating volume. You're just trying to do a lot of work capacity stuff. Um, and that could last four weeks, could last six weeks, could last eight weeks. Um, it depends on the, the individual and the timeline. Phase two is intensification. And just like it sounds, you're increasing intensity and you are decreasing volume. So you're doing less total work, but you are doing heavier work throughout that work. Um, the goal to get stronger. And then the intensification phase, or the, I'm sorry, the realization phase is kind of realizing your, your true potential. It's your peaking. It's testing your lifts. It's, it's maxing out. And it's, it's usually shorter than uh, the accumulation or intensification phase. Um, the way I've seen it work best is uh, the longest phase is intense uh, accumulation and then second longest is intensification and the shortest is the realization. So the phases kind of get shorter as you go. Um, but they could all be the same too. You could go four, four, four. Um, and this works really well to maximize a powerlifter strength like it does. It's, it's a classic periodization model. It's been used for years. It's used in, in athletes. It's used in powerlifters, lumbar lifters, so on and so forth. It works. However, the problem I see in it is that you – and some would argue that this is good, but you would get to the end of this accumulation phase and you're very accustomed to high-volume hypertrophy training. But then you move into a intensification block and you do a lot of low-rep stuff and you're training for strength. By the time you get to the end of that strength block, that intensification block, you've done weeks on end of low-volume strength training, which means that your body's ability to handle high volumes kind of goes away, right? You don't handle – volume as well. So you kind of lose that capacity. You lose that skill. Then you go to a realization phase and then you come back to accumulation phase and you have a couple weeks to catch up at least. So maybe like two or three weeks, you're just trying to catch back up to where you left off. And then you only have a couple weeks, maybe three or four, if you're doing a long accumulation phase to progress on that. Um, with a undulation, undulated phase, uh, a daily undulated periodization model, for example, you're doing multiple intensities and reps and loads across the week, which means that one day I might be in the three to five rep range for my compound, right? And then one day I might be in the eight to 12 rep range for my compound. So for example, with me, I have an upper lower day and I'm doing bench for five, squats for five. They're heavy squats, heavy bench press. And then my push-pull legs days, I have a higher rep overhead press, eight reps. I have a higher rep squat and deadlift, and I have a higher rep weighted chin-up. So I'm doing both rep ranges. That's the undulation. You can do undulation in many ways. The classic DUP model, daily undulated periodization model, is uh, three different intensities. So an example would be a full body split where you go bench squat deadlift for fives on Monday, bench squat deadlift for six sets of three um, at a 65% of one rep max, so you can do it for speed, maybe against bands or whatever. And then you do a bench squat deadlift for hypertrophy in the eight to 10 rep range on Friday. So you have three days, same movements, you're undulating the rep ranges over time. And what people found is that over the course of time, you don't lose the skill of one another. So you actually accumulate uh, muscle mass and strength pretty well. There was a lot of power lifters that shifted this model and they were getting fantastic results and they were looking a hell of a lot better. So a lot of the guys that were doing both bodybuilding and power lifting, this is what they did. Um, if we look at the conjugate method by Westside Barbell, it is 
daily undulated periodization. It's concurrent periodization. It's one day of max effort and one day of dynamic effort. So you have a day where you're doing speed, um, speed work and dynamic work and, and plyometric work and stuff like that and some accessory stuff. And then you have one day where you're doing heavy, heavy lifting, heavy compounds and heavy accessory. That's a low rep intensity and then a higher rep slash power day, right? For, for a lot of my clients, we do a max effort day and we do a repetition effort day. So inside the Taylor trainer, that's, it's one of the methods I use for most of the programming. It's like, we are going to focus on some heavy lifting and lower reps because there's a lot of value in that. And then we're going to focus on some higher rep ranges because there's a lot of value in that. And they both complement each other. So if you want to slowly progress over time, constantly nonstop and never backtrack, an undulated model is probably going to be best. In most hypertrophy literature would agree. Most hypertrophy literature says you should be in the five to 15 rep range, meaning you should be doing some low five rep stuff, some moderate 10 rep stuff, and some high rep 15 rep stuff. And if you do that, you're more likely to build muscle, but you're also more likely to get stronger in the process. So when we look at just trying to build like functional muscle, like a well-rounded individual, um, I truly believe that undulating your reps and loads across the week is going to be the best possible outcome. Um, if you are purely going for strength, I think you should undulate on a daily or weekly basis, and it should be three different things, speed, power, hypertrophy, or I'm sorry, strength, power, hypertrophy, power and speed are the same thing. Um, if you are strictly looking for aesthetics, like you're just looking to build muscle, burn fat, anything like that, I think you should have hypertrophy and strength. So you have one low low rep, high intensity day, low, low rep, high load day, and then you have one day where you're going a little bit higher reps, moderate weight, um, and really trying to chase hypertrophy. Number three, base your accessories off opposing compound lifts. So a lot of people inside of their program, what they will do is they will do the the barbell squat and then afterwards they do a accessory exercise for that squat which makes sense right like we're going to do a squat and then we're going to do a lunch right we're doing heavy squats and then i'm going to do something that complements that squat uh, where i differ is i want to do something that complements an opposing compound lift so for example on the squat day i'm going to do an rdl afterwards which is going to be more complementary to my deadlift on the deadlift day i'm going to do a front squat or a split squat and that's going to be more complementary to my squat on my bench press day, I'm going to do a military press, dumbbell military press afterwards. That's going to complement my barbell overhead press. And on barbell overhead press today, I'm going to do a dumbbell bench press, which is going to complement my barbell bench press. But if you look at this, what we're doing is we're trying to limit fatigue to any one muscle in a single session. Because no matter what, you're still going to be doing about two exercises per muscle group per week or per session, sometimes three. So even though I just did a bench press, then I do a military press, I'm still going to do some flies or some push-ups or something else for my chest. I'm not going to ignore it because we do want to create some fatigue. But if we focus just on complementing the bench press on our first upper day and then just the shoulders on the next, uh, the next upper day, what we're doing is accumulating fatigue too fast and then our performance drops. So what I can do on a dumbbell bench press is going to be kind of shitty like after a barbell bench press because it's the same thing. Like, yes, it complements it, but it's going to be hard to perform my best. Whereas if I did a military press, I'm, I'm more shoulder dominant. It's going to be easier for me to, to progress that, right? And if I did a barbell overhead press and then a dumbbell military press right afterwards, super high fatigue on the shoulders, I'm going to underperform on that military press. So to get the most out of your accessory movements, you should be complementing the other days. So even on a full body day, if a full body day hits and one day I have squat, one day I have bench, one day I have deadlift, so three day full body, let's say, on my squat day, I'm going to do something to benefit my deadlift. On the bench day, I'm going to do something to, to benefit my squat. And on the deadlift day, I'm going to do something to benefit my bench. 
Like it's the same exact thing. And what we are doing is we are managing fatigue better. We are increasing performance and we are divvying up the volume across the week. So we are making sure that our frequency is higher. We are hitting the muscle groups more regularly throughout the week, which is going to accumulate to a greater amount of volume over time without the negative consequence of systemic fatigue. Um, so once again, you're basing your accessories off opposing compound lifts, not the compound lift for today, but afterwards. Um, after that, number four, implement isolation movements based on cosmetic goals slash balance. This is where we can go back to the chest on that bench day or back to the quads on that quad or that squat day. Isolation exercises take way less mental motivation, mental, they're not taxing on your brain. They're not taxing on your nervous system. They're pretty easy to go through because they're mindless exercises. Um, and the goal really is just get a pump, just crank out volume, get a pump, go through the movements, get solid muscle contractions. Um, and you should do a wide variety of these things. So on that bench day, I might go barbell bench press, then dumbbell military press, and then a heavy like chin up or a row, um, to a set to, and those are my accessories for the compounds. And then I go into isolation work. This is where I start going, okay, I still want to hit, build my chest, so I'm going to do some flies. Then I'm going to do some lateral raises, tricep extensions, and curls, right? So now I'm hitting a little bit of everything. Or maybe I want to focus more on my back. So I do chest flies and bent over posterior flies, right? So like reverse flies and chest flies in a superset. And then I do some like curls, shrugs, and tricep extensions in an AMRAP session for three to four rounds afterwards, right? No matter what, I'm doing accessory work that is kind of mindless and I'm just here to get a pump. I don't need to lift super heavy. It's more about the muscle contraction and I'm probably staying in the 10 to 15 rep range, maybe even the 20. Um, and this is our isolation work. And the whole point here is to build muscle. It's, it's to change the cosmetic appearance that you want. And it, it can, and we do it in this order because it's based on whatever your accessory was. So on a bench day, I might do the military press for my first accessory, but my isolation is going to be more geared towards my chest. On an overhead press day, I might do a dumbbell bench press for the first accessory, but I'm going to do more lateral raises and stuff for my isolation because I'm going to focus on creating fatigue in the shoulder when I don't, when it doesn't matter anymore, right? I don't have anything important to do after these lateral raises so I can spend time focusing on that fatigue. Um, isolation work in general doesn't need to be overcomplicated, doesn't need to be... You don't need to be too nitpicky or stressed out about the perfect exercises. The main thing is that you have good form, you're activating the muscles, and you're getting some good volume in there. Number five, we have periodize your exercises in three and six-week blocks. So the reason I do this is pretty simple. Like I believe that you know the compound lifts, and this is most people would agree with this. The compound lifts take time. You know, you're you're really not going to see tremendous. Uh, results on a bench squat, deadlift, overpress, strength-wise, in a matter of three weeks, right? You need at least six weeks. And for some people, it's like eight, 10, or 12 weeks. It's longer. Um, but for most people, I like six weeks, then we switch. And the reason for this is six weeks is enough to get used to the movement, build the skill of the movement, load the movement, and start progressively overloading, and then deload the movement and move on to the next thing. So we might go week one and two, we're just building the skill, be week three, four, five, and maybe even six, we are progressing that movement as much as we can. And then week seven is actually week one of the next program and we are changing it. So if we were doing a barbell bench press, the next block after six weeks, we might do a barbell floor press, right? And then we might do a uh, barbell incline press. And then we might circle back to the barbell bench press. And it's been 
two months since we did that, right? 12 weeks actually, three months since we did that. And it's fresh. It's it's stimulating mentally. Uh, that's another reason for this. Like you get bored of doing the same thing over and over again. And I believe that over injury, injury use does happen. So changing the ver- variety or variations of what you're doing does come in handy to make sure your body doesn't have any overuse injuries on the joints. Um, but with accessory and isolation work, I'm, blo- I'm periodizing in three-week blocks. So if we have six-week blocks for our compounds and then three-week blocks for our uh, accessory work, it's the same thing in a different context because three weeks is enough to progress on a accessory work, but any longer than that really isn't necessary because you're not going to continually progress a dumbbell lunge, continually progress a barbell curl, continually progress dumbbell lateral raises, right? Those isolation accessory work, you won't see things like climbing up. There's certain ones that you want, might want to keep around longer, so this is always subject to change. Like a good example would be a barbell RDL. You can absolutely progressively overload a barbell or RDL over time, but for other things, smaller muscle groups and smaller exercises, you're really not going to continue progressing. You might have week one to get used to the movement. Week two, you're progressing it. Week three, you're adding more load. And then week four, it's a new program. So guess what? When you have that new program, new accessory work, you're almost deloading it because you have to lighten the weight to learn the movement and you repeat it again. Same thing with the compounds. After week six, you take a deload week because week seven is, is the start of a new lift. You got to get used to it. You're going to go lighter and practice it. So this this three and six week block, six weeks for compounds, three weeks for accessory, the biggest thing it does here is it builds in deloads automatically, right? Every three and six weeks, kind of, well, technically four and seven because you'd have to get through the first three-week block in order to get to the deload. But it builds in deloads for you. And the biggest thing here is it keeps it engaging. Like so many times people get bored. Like if you set up a program, and yes, an eight-week program that is nonstop the same exact thing will work great. I've done it. I've done it many times. I've done it 16 weeks straight, not changing a thing. And it worked. But it gets boring as hell. You have to switch up the movements to stay mentally engaged. Because if you're not mentally engaged, you will not push your body as hard as you can. And that program that is scientifically sound on paper becomes not not that effective in practical application because you're bored as hell and you're not motivated to push yourself in the gym. So once again, your compound lifts should stay around longer so you can spend time progressing and they should be about six weeks, sometimes more. Um, and your accessory exercises should change every three weeks because that's enough to progress, but it's also enough to incorporate a lot of different movements and avoid boredom. Number six, vary your energy systems with multifaceted conditioning. Uh, if the reason I like doing this is because, you know, there's a lot of health benefits to like slower, more sustainable cardio, things like jumping on the bike or the rower for 20 minutes, 30 minutes. 40 minutes, um, nonstop taking the sled and dragging the sled back and forth for 20 minutes, nonstop, just constant movement where you're, you, you can go through the movement and you're like, this is hard, but I can sustain this, this pace that I am going at right now with the sled, with the bike, with the rower, I can sustain this for the entire 20 minutes if I need to. Right, And that's the goal. We are working the aerobic system. We are building your aerobic capacity and we are working the oxidative energy system. And when we do this, we are improving our ability to recover from everything. We are improving our cardiovascular health. We are improving our immune system more than any other type of uh, training or activity. So it's, it's really, really health beneficial, but it's also beneficial because if we improve our oxidative 
uh, system, we can improve our rate of recovering from oxidative stress. And when we go into training and we are lifting heavy and we need to recover between reps, between each set, between days of the, the week in the gym, we need that oxidative and aerobic capacity to be good so we can recover better and faster from the work we are doing. So this is actually an argument for cardio saying, you know what, if you do intelligent cardio or intelligent conditioning, it'll actually make you stronger and bigger over time because your performance will increase, your recovery will increase, your ability to handle oxidative stress will increase. So, uh, but the thing is with this, does that mean that high intensity intervals and aerobic based energy system training is not beneficial? Not at all. I think it's great. And that's why I said vary your energy systems. The reason I go to the slower, more sustainable approach first is because most people that come to us are strength training. So if you go in the gym and you strength train, you are using the anaerobic system, the anaerobic ATP, uh, PC, ATP system, and you are probably doing basically high intensity intervals when you lift. So if you do a heavy back squat, right? You're, you're under the bar, you're doing three to five reps, and you probably do 15 to 30 seconds of work, right? And then you take a solid three minutes between sets and you repeat. When you get done, you rack that bar, your heart is pounding, your, your chest is beating, you just did a ton of work, you were under load for 15 to 30 seconds, and then you take a long rest, and then you repeat. Like literally exactly what high intensity interval training is. Now, it doesn't mean it's the exact same thing, um, at all. There's still a place for high intensity interval training for cardio, but from an energy system perspective, it's pretty damn similar. Um, so I'm going to lean on doing the more oxidative style stuff, the sustainable cardio first, before I dive into the, the high intensity anaerobic stuff, because I know that it's something that is missing in most people. And I think it's important to have a variety. So you're getting a, a wide range of these different intensities, um, and types of conditioning to improve your system as a whole. Um, the, the third system would be the glycolytic system. Um, this is where people will say like, you know, they're getting lactate accumulation, lactic acid in their legs, stuff like that. You do 30 to 60 seconds as hard as you can on the bike, right? You're not, that's not max effort. Like after about 10 seconds, maybe 15, um, ATP stops generating, uh, uh, energy and you're not moving as explosively. That's why like when we're doing max effort anaerobic sprints on a bike up a hill or anything like that. You really only want to go like 7 to 12 seconds, but maybe 15 if you want to push it. Anything over 15, you can start going into the glycolytic system because you just can't sustain it, It's it, period. After 60 seconds, you start tapping into the oxidative system because that's where you get into endurance-based stuff when you start keep going and going and going. But you can jump on the assault bike and, and hit a 40-second interval as hard as you can. It's going to be extremely glycolytic. It's another energy pathway, and it's it's beneficial. So I like having a combination of things. If I have a, any, if I could design the perfect program for conditioning, I would have some high-intensity conditioning if their goal is fat loss, but I would put it on the lifting days. Otherwise, I would just rely on my heavy lifting as my high-intensity intervals, my anaerobic stuff. I would have one day that is sustainable work. So this can be mixed modal or it could be on a machine. So you can go on a rower, an assault bike, or even like a sled. Or or if you have like an assault runner, one of the curved treadmills, you can run. But you're doing 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minutes of sustained pace. Just that, right? Challenging but sustainable. Like you're not walking. Like you're, you're running or you're, you're going hard on the bike. But you can sustain the same pace from minute one to minute 20, 30, 40, whatever you decide. Um, and then the 
second day of conditioning because we're going to have four to five days of lifting. The second day of conditioning would be that glycolytic. We might finish with a cool down of like walking or biking very slow to cool down and burn some extra calories and recover. But I'm going to do 40 seconds all out pace on the bike and then you're taking a three to five minute rest in between sets and you're doing five rounds, five, six rounds. Um, and it's really grueling. It's 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 going to build a lot of that lactic acid in your legs, that feeling that you have where your legs are about to explode. Um, but it's good. It's using a different energy pathway and that's the whole point, right? So if we do it that way, we are varying our energy systems across the week. And I think that your strength is going to be better. Your conditioning is going to be better. Your recovery is going to be better. It's going to be more exciting because you're doing more things. All right, number six, focus on movements first, then muscle groups. I think this is number six. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I'm sorry, number seven, focus on movements first, then muscle groups. So I think it's important to understand muscle groups. Like you should know what muscles you're working. You should know how to alter your volume depending on what muscle you're trying to work and and how much volume you're doing per muscle group, per week, stuff like that. But everything starts, like the foundation starts with movement. So in general, you should be able to look at your program and know that you have push-pull, hip, knee, core. So you have um, a, a two-to-one ratio of push-pull. So like, and I would say like 1.5 to two-to-one ratio. So if, if you don't have any shoulder issues, I think 1.5 to one ratio is great for shoulder health. Um, if you have bad shoulder issues, it should be like two to three uh, to one ratio, uh, two or three to one ratio of push to pull. So basically you have two poles for every one push, right? Um, and the reason for that is just to keep your posterior chain strong, strong and, and your anterior chain, your shoulders really healthy. Um, even your hips too, it'll be the same thing. Working your glutes and hamstrings is going to help your hips, uh, versus just constantly using your flexors and your quads. But the, the goal here is to think about movements. We're not thinking about muscle groups. So you look at your program. Do we, do we have a push? Do we have a pull? horizontal before vertical. If you do all the push, pull, hip, knee, core, then you can come back to vertical, which I'll get here to in a sec. But the first check mark is, do you have a horizontal push? Do you have a horizontal pull? Do you have a hip hinge movement? And do you have a squat movement, right? Knee dominant, split squat, goblet squat, whatever. And then something for your core. Are you doing a plank? Are you doing a carry? Are you doing a hanging leg raise? Anything. Anti-rotation. If we're talking real functional, I'd say carry uh, a plank-like stability, uh, which is anti-extension, or you could do an anti-rotation. Those are going to be the most functional core movements you can do. But if we check those off, we're in the clear, right? Now we know we have a functional program that's going to promote better posture, better joint health, and more strength, period. More movement, better movement. Um, Now, if we take a step back and go, okay, push, pull, hip, knee, core, that's cool, but that's not enough volume for me to build muscle. That's not enough work for me to have a good workout in the gym. We know that. So after you accomplish the push-pull hip-knee core, this this second thing that you can slide in there is a vertical push-pull. So yes, you have your horizontal push-pull, but then now let's add a vertical push-pull, assuming your shoulders are healthy. After that, you can add isolation work, right? After that, you can add unilaterals. And I would actually say unilateral work comes before um, isolation, but you should look at your push-pull hip-knee core and then add uh, unilateral work to complement some of those movements, add vertical pushing and pulling to complement some of those movements or the muscle groups you want to grow. Uh, and then you go into isolation work, curls, lateral raise, all that stuff, but you don't have the right to add in all these crazy drop sets, crazy curls, all these different variations until you can look at your program and know that your foundation is solid. Push, pull, hip, knee, core, push, pull, hip, squat. Um, and you can, if you, if you want to look at patterns, there's a lot of people that talk about this too, like push, pull, hinge, squat, carry or lunge, right? Like there's some people have four, some people have five, some people have six fundamental movements. For me, it's push, pull, hip hinge, squat pattern, and then some kind of something for your core. It's five, 
But there's a lot of people that add the lunge in there too. It's unilateral period because you should be working unilateral movements, both upper and lower body. Um, but again, if you are trying to create a program that's functionally sound, you're going to start with focusing on movement patterns and then you're going to enhance by implementing focus on isolation work or muscle groups specific. So movements first, muscle group second. Number eight, progress by load, duration, movement ability, and loading patterns. And the goal here is like I want people to understand that the only way that it, like load is not the only way to progress. So adding weight to the bar is not the only way to progress. When I'm working with somebody, there's going to be certain movements that I do want to just increase load. I want them to progress their load over time. There's going to be certain movements where I want them to be able to sustain it for longer. So it might be work capacity, right? We have a 10-minute uh, block. You have four exercises. I want you to get good at being able to do as many of those as you can in 10 minutes, right? Next week, 12 minutes. Next week, 14 minutes, right? So we're increasing our duration of this AMRAP or EDT. Um, movement ability. I want a client to be able to do a pistol squat, right? But we start with a split squat. Then we go reverse lunge. Then we go forward lunge. Then we go walking lunge. Then we go Bulgarian split squat. Then we go step up, right? Then we go for, uh, front foot elevated lunge and then we finally go pistol squat to box and eventually pistol squat ass to grass right but there's a movement ability component there you don't need to necessarily build muscle or build strength in order to improve those things you need to get better at the movement pattern the unilateral quad dominant movement pattern um, and that's all it is so i think that you should be incorporating ways to progress your movement and, it, and it's really fun and this is why the three and six week blocks work really well because every three weeks you can progress your movement Right. How are you, like, what's the movement variation you were doing for that accessory work? Um, and then last but not least, loading patterns. And, and I would say duration also can be reps. So we will progress load. We will progress duration of work capacity um, or sustainability if we're doing aerobic work. We will uh, increase the reps. So your volume will progress over time. Uh, we will progress by movement ability. And then last, by loading pattern. So we might start with a... Uh, body weight lunge, then a dumbbell lunge, then a uh, front racked kettlebell lunge, then a front racked barbell lunge, and then a barbell uh, back lunge. And that barbell back lunge is going to be the heaviest variation that we're going to get to, but we progressed slowly through loading patterns, right? Like no load, uh, lateral load, front load, real load. Like there's so many ways to load your body. You can do offset load. You can do cross body load. You can do um, single versus double load, bilateral load. It's, there's so many different things you can do. Isolateral, uh, ipsolateral. There's all these different ones where, you know, like left foot, left arm, right? So like the weights in the left arm, left foot's planted. That's ipsolateral. You can do um, isolateral, which would be the opposite. You can do offset, which would be having like your left hand holding the weight, right leg doing the movement. But there's so many ways to do it, um, and it's another way you can progress. And I think too many people get stuck in the mindset of, I am just progressing to get stronger. I'm just going to add weight over time, or even volume. I'm just going to add reps over time. And that's it's really that's it's looking at it through a small lens. And I think your clients will have better results if you focus on multifaceted ways to progress their training, and they will have a hell of a lot more fun. Um, and it's not as discouraging because after a while, it gets hard to add low to the bar. So when you can't. You have all these other ways of doing it. Um, okay, number nine, stay in the 10 to 20 sets per muscle group per week range. 
this is a very broad range, but in general, I always tell people like you should probably stay in the 10 to 20 sets per muscle group per week range. Um, 10 being the lower side for like beginners and, and intermediates, 20 being the high end for advanced lifters or specialization muscle groups. So um, like for me, I have like my back is, is right around that 20, maybe a little bit higher than 20 sets per muscle group per week, but the rest of my body is in that like 10 to 15 rep range or sets per muscle group per week range. Um, and this, this range of volume is really just a big bell curve. Um, the more advanced you get, the, the better you can recover from training, the higher on that bell curve you go, the further you go towards that 20 sets per muscle group per week. Um, the less you can recover from, the higher stress you have in your life or the less experience you have in the gym, the lower on that bell curve, the closer to 10 sets per muscle group per week you actually are. So there's this big range and it's just important to understand that range. Your clients are going to all fall in different places. And if you can place somebody in the like 10 like right around 10 sets per muscle group per week, you can progress their sets effectively over time until you get to the maximum amount possible while still having optimal recovery. Um, I don't think you should go to like MRV, maximum recoverable volume all time, because usually that means overreaching, which can be planned properly, but I think in general it's best to stay in that effective uh, effective volume range, which is usually going to be, like I said, in between the 10 to 20 sets per muscle group per week. Not too much, but it's definitely enough to grow. And then the last thing I try to do with my program and the last fundamental principle is to be functional. You know, somebody commented on one of my posts the other day and said, what does functional mean to you? And my response was basically that training enhances your life. You know, you should train for whatever your goal is, be that strength, longevity, hypertrophy, athletic performance, whatever it may be. And you should be having less injuries. You should have better blood work. You should be getting better sleep. You should be stronger. You should have better movement, better mobility, better flexibility. That's functional training, right? Um, there's a lot of bodybuilders and powerlifters who beat the shit out of their body because all they care about is doing more volume to build muscle or doing higher intensity loads to build strength. But at a certain point, their body breaks. So what can we do to make sure that our, our uh, posture is better as we train? What can we do to make sure we have less achy joints as we train? What can we do to make our tendons and, and ligaments stronger over time? What can we do to increase our muscle tissue? Because we know that's a sign of longevity as well and hormonal status as well. Um, so functionality inside your training doesn't necessarily mean you can't use machines or you have to do things on a BOSU ball or anything crazy like that. It, it really just comes down to, is this enhancing my life outside the gym? Is what I'm doing in the gym making my lifestyle, the way I function day to day, better or worse? And if the answer is not better, it's not functional. What you are doing is creating dysfunction in your body and you need to start creating more function in your body. And, and the way to do this, in my opinion, is you should be adding some loaded stretching. You should be adding some mobility. You should be varying your energy systems. You should be using mainly um, free weights because things like dumbbells, bands, cables are great, barbells, stuff like that tends to be um, – more promising and just more helpful on the joints because uh, now granted if you go super super heavy all the time you're, you're gonna have banged up joints too but your mechanics have some freedom right when you go through a dumbbell press your shoulders and elbows and wrists and your joints can move as they want to move with the load because there's no there's no levers dictating what your levers should be doing we all have different mechanics we all have different levers so if we can use mainly functional equipment free weight stuff i, I tend to think this this whole functionality thing's a little bit easier, um, but there really shouldn't be anything that you ignore, right? Being functional with your training means you're not ignoring mobility. You're not ignoring flexibility. You're not ignoring high volume training. You're not ignoring um, slow tension based training. You're not ignoring heavy weight or power development. Like, are you throwing, sprinting, jumping, um, 
anything, slamming? Are you doing anything explosive? Because that's part of being functional too, your nervous system. So in general, functionality is just making sure that it's enhancing your life. So if we wrap this up, the 10 things are pretty simple. Have specific metric-based movements. Undulate your reps and loads across the week. Base your accessories off opposing compound lifts from the other days. Implement isolation movements based on cosmetic goals and balance of your physique. Periodize your exercises in three and six-week blocks, three for the accessory and isolation, six for the compounds. Vary your energy systems with multifaceted conditioning. Focus on movements first and then muscle groups. You can progress by load, reps, duration, movement ability, and loading patterns. Stay in the 10 to 20 reps or sets per muscle group per week range. And then last but not least, be functional. When I strip away the best programs inside the Taylor Trainer, the best programs I've ever used with myself, the best programs I've used with my top clients, the best results always come from using these 10 principles without a doubt. Before I let you go, I just want to say thanks. I seriously appreciate you spending this last hour or so with me, educating yourself to get better results. It still humbles me to this day that people around the world literally have me in their headphones or their speakers just to learn. It's so empowering, and because of that, I have three quick things for you. The first one is a personal favor. Please leave me a five-star rating and review on iTunes. When you do this, not only does it help me learn and get better at making podcasts for you to get better results, but it helps us grow inside of iTunes, which allows us to invest more, again, to get you better results. The second thing, head over to boomboomformance.com slash sign dash up or click the link in the show notes to get your free copy of the Nutrition Hierarchy. This is everything you need to know about nutrition to change your body composition or performance inside of a manual. I take the leading evidence inside of research and all the principles, methods, and tools based on some of the top professionals in the industry, and I put them all in a book so you can learn more about your nutrition and get better results. The third thing, this is a personal invitation to shoot me a DM on Instagram or email me at cody at boomboomperformance.com. I will help you troubleshoot anything you need. This is literally an invitation to jump in my inbox and ask me anything you want and let me help you. All right, guys, that's all I got for you this time. I appreciate you being here and I'll see you next time.